Bakın tamam değil. My mama uses power. Thank you for listening. Bye. Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high-rise or low-rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Right, welcome back to this week's episode in our Mythbuster series. This week, you will definitely need your headphones <laughs> because we are talking about sex, baby. Oh, that's as much as I can sing. Okay, we know that part of body acceptance is grappling with wondering if we are sexy or attractive and feeling confident in our bodies as sexual beings. So the myth myth we are busting today that we hear from so many people is I cannot be sexually confident if I am not body confident. We truly believe that all bodies are sexy, but we also believe that to feel sexy or to be sexually confident isn't actually about your body at all. It is much more about a general sense of body attunement, knowing your body's needs and wants, and having radical body liberation and body neutrality. So we are going to share our thoughts in this myth, and then we are interviewing therapists and an old friend of both Rachel and mine's, yeah, Amber Allen. Yeah, the bottom line is that looking to the world to help define whether or not you are sexy is really dangerous for many reasons. One, that's an external measure that disconnects you from your intuition. Two, the societal definition of sexy is constantly changing throughout history. And three, because sex is more than a physical act, but rather a whole mind and body connection. So your internal mindset is just as important in the bedroom as your physical body. So let's start with the externalization. Women's beauty standards are constantly changing. I mean, hundreds of years ago, a rounder, larger body was considered beautiful because it signified health and wealth. In the 50s, it was Marilyn Monroe. And then in the 90s, it went to Kamos. And then in the 2000s, maybe, I don't know, Kim Kardashian curves in all the right places. Today, it's Chrissy Teigen. I mean, it's always changing. And guess what? The only people who look like those people are those people. And even then, they're tweaked, tucked, posed, photoshopped. In fact, fun fact of the episode, did you know that $20 billion a year is spent on beauty advertisements and 99.9% of images and advertisements are photoshopped? We also found stats that 80% of photoshopped images do not include the recommended disclaimer, which makes it even more confusing. So since no one looks like the ads and yet everyone sees those ads, it has an impact on our self-worth. So we want you to try to look around you. Look around to find beauty. Look at the various shapes, colors in nature, at your school drop-off line, at the stores and the parks. Marvel in the variety of the people. 
We want you to have various body types in your home, in books and art. Throw out the magazines that trigger you and learn what it means to live authentically in your skin, in your body, without feeling like you need to be tweaked. It's the beauty images that are tweaked. Okay, now for the internalization. We believe that the key to healing this myth starts with the concept of empowerment. According to our friend Google, hey Google, empowerment is having the knowledge, confidence, means, or ability to do things or make decisions for oneself and the process of becoming stronger and more confident, especially in controlling one's life and claiming one's rights. Please note, it is not the process of becoming toned, tweaked, beautified, and molded into beauty standards in order to gain control of one's life. It's the internal process of learning what feels good for our bodies. And this obviously includes what foods we like to eat or what movement we enjoy doing, but it also means what makes us feel good with touch. When we are able to heal from the negative societal messaging that we internalize about our bodies, we are able to be more mindful about what feels best for us and attuned with not only our bodies, but our partner's bodies and the connection as well. So a journal prompt that we encourage you to consider as you navigate healing your body attunement in this area is... What are the values of beauty that I need to continue to release in order to become more body positive about my sexual body? Don't forget, sexy starts in the mind, not in the body. All right, should we bust this myth? Woo! Let's do it. All right. Amber Allen is a licensed marriage and family therapist who has specialized in eating disorders since 2008. She currently works in a private group practice in Westminster, California, where she works with individuals, couples, and families. She is also a certified family wellness instructor that provides workshops and family-based curriculum designed to strengthen healthy family dynamics. Amber is passionate about supporting women of all creeds, accepting their bodies, and living their full lives without the pressures of societal standards of beauty. She is a graduate of UC Irvine and Fuller Theological Seminary, where she also supports clients in incorporating their faith in their healing, should they desire to do so. In her spare time, Amber enjoys long walks by the beach with her puppy, Joy, and searching for fun knickknacks at Home Goods. Let's get to it. All right, today we are excited because we're probably gonna have a little too much fun on this episode. We are welcoming Amber Allen and fun fact, the three of us all worked together in treatment center world like over 10 years ago. It's a blast from the past. So all be together right now, you will probably hear lots of giggling and it's not because we can't handle the topic of sex. It's because we're just really excited to see each other. (laughs) Yes. Uh, oh so let's. And we also can't really handle the topic of sex. No, just JK. <laughs> so we asked Amber to join us because uh, back in treatment center world, Amber was always loving to bring up the topic of sex and intimacy with our clients. And it was always the joke of like, just have Amber talk about it. So when, when we discussed what missed of us, because she is the go-to person for this. She definitely is. I remember being in some groups with you and like, I was like, how did you just bring up vaginas and sex 
and I don't know if it was specifically vaginas, but just sex and intimacy. And somehow I'm talking about correlated ladies. It's all correlated. (laughs) And like, you could just tell everyone in the room like started sweating. Right. And it's like, okay, wait, we we, we need to talk about this more because we shouldn't feel this uncomfortable, but yes. And this is why we have you here today to really open our eyes and give us the scoop and really just make us all feel less giggly and uncomfortable when talking about sex and intimacy. So thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much, ladies, for having me. It's so good to be here. I'm so happy to just be on this podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. It is so good to see you too. And I am definitely getting treatment center flashbacks because I distinctly remember the both of you turning beet red <laughs> when the topic of intimacy and sex came up in our treatment team meeting. <laughs> yep. I mean, I don't know if you can see me right now, but it's happening. No, JK. So Amber, we are here to tell our listeners and help our listeners bust this myth that I cannot feel sexually confident, be sexually intimate, be intimate, unless I am body confident. And I want you to help us debunk that. But before we get there, can you please tell our listeners, who the hell are you? Tell (laughs) us. And why are you passionate about busting this myth? Why are you our sex go-to human? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Tina, for that lovely intro. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, so my name is Amber Allen. For those for those of you that don't know me, so I I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I I've specialized in eating disorders for a good thirteen years now. Um, I've always just been very passionate about women feeling comfortable in their bodies and feeling comfortable, obviously, in all shapes, sizes, creeds. One of the things, though, that I've noticed um, over the years, and I think as women, especially as women in American society, we've, we've just been conditioned to not feel comfortable talking about feeling good when it comes to intimacy. It, it, it always just seems to be this type of thing where it's, it's when it only pertains to um, you know, having children, which is a beautiful blessing, or, you know, something for the sake of pleasing the man or pleasing, you know, the status quo, there's very little regard to just pleasure for women. And I, I just really feel passionate about women feeling good about taking care of feeling good about ourselves. And when it comes to sex and intimacy, I think there is such that stereotype of you have to look a certain way in order to feel good. And I definitely want to support in challenging that myth that that's just not the case. You can be comfortable in your own skin. You can be any shape, any size and feel good when it comes to intimacy and know that you can create a dialogue and talk about it and know that that's okay. Ooh, I can't wait to learn more about this. This is so interesting. Yeah, I think I hear so much in my practice, but like I just feel gross in my body. And I think that's kind of an interesting word that people tend to use because I think what they're really saying is society has such a narrow definition of what's sexy that I then feel like icky or gross. Like something feels like I'm the opposite of what that message is. And I don't know how to hold on to my body and positive adjectives 
towards it. So you mentioned the societal messaging. What do you what do you know or what have you observed that has some of the history or the origination of this myth that has really impacted people? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think a part of it comes from, you know, especially in especially in coming from like Western civilization models of what's considered acceptable forms of beauty, right? So we have this kind of notion of this certain set body standard type of you have, you know, you have to have certain small size hips or very, very small waist or, and obviously during the course of time, it's very interesting that the notion of what's considered sexy is changing, right? So, you know, we, we, we've had like this Kate Moss area and then era, and then we kind of transitioned and now we kind of have this thing where it's now like small waist and larger hips. And it's just very interesting, but throughout the course of these changes, there's, there's a lot of women that constantly feel like, okay, where well, I don't quite meet this Kate Moss, Kendall Jenner, but then at the same time, I don't meet this like JLo <laughs> or small waist and big booty. Like, so I, I, where do I fit? I, I don't feel, I don't feel like I fit in any of that. So how do I, again, come to feel sexy if I don't meet in those particular body types? And, you know, one of the things that hopefully I think in time, and I think as a society, we're slowly starting to do a little bit better with this, is recognizing that women, we are so gorgeous and so variety in so many different ways that we don't have to be, again, those certain types of body types in order to be considered sexy. And so to answer your question specifically, Rachel, when you say, you know, how did that come to be historically? I think a lot of times those standards also were set by corporations. I would also say sometimes male corporations, sometimes men, sometimes media. And luckily, again, I think times are changing steadily where you have more women that are becoming part of those boards, becoming a part of those media that are like changing those definitions of beauty. But I think, again, it, it's hard because, again, we see a lot of what's picked out for women as far as what's considered sexy. And if you don't fall into that category, you're kind of left with, okay, so where, where do I fit? And so if I don't fit into that, then how can I be deemed sexy? But you actually are. It's just a matter of you choosing to filter out when you see those images of recognizing that's not, that's not always the reality of, of every woman, period. I'm thinking of, you know, some of my clients that let's say they've worked really hard to challenge the diet mentality, their eating disorder, or just diet culture in general, their body has changed. So they're now living in a larger body than they previously were. Maybe it's a marginalized body now. Um, and they're just really not feeling capable of their partner feeling attracted to them, them feeling attracted to themselves. Um, and just holding that insecurity because the body is new. What would you say to those individuals? What would be some small steps for them? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely would practice. I would just definitely support them in practicing grace and compassion towards themselves because 
a, you know, super proud of them for getting to that place. You know, it took a lot of work for them to get to that place in their journey and their recovery and practicing grace and compassion for themselves and getting to where they are. But also, you know, recognizing that it, it's going to take time to unlearn the messages that they've learned for years that there has to be a certain standard when it comes to the beauty. So I would say first and foremost is maybe, you know, asking themselves, what are the, what are the values of beauty in my recovered self that I want to model for myself? Like all of those things that I attain to in my recovery process, how, how do I want to incorporate that in my day-to-day -day life? And how can I do that realistically? So if before I, you know, I didn't value my thighs or I didn't value my hips, how can I come to nurture those things now? And little by little come to recognize that these are the very body parts that are a part of me that I want to, and again, I'm, I'm not naive in saying you have to 100% automatically say, body, I love you. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get it. I'm, I'm not naive in, in recognizing that that's not easy. It's not easy to do. Um, but I do think that there can be little steps where you can ask yourself, how can I envision for myself the values that I want to model for my recovered belief system for my body? I would start there. It kind of reminds me of a quote that we've talked about in past episodes, which is that body image starts in the mind, not the body, you know, and I think we can expand that to a sexy body image or an identity that I am a sexual or sexy person starts in the mind, not in the body. And that's a very empowering claim to hold on to. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And reminding yourself too of, you know, I'm a big fan of challenging the mind reading that we do of making that assumption of if I hold the belief that I look a certain way or my body looks like this, then I'm assuming that the person that I love or that I care about is also thinking that way. You're robbing that person of their own thoughts and their own decision and what they see. So that's not fair. So it, it, it's mind reading, it's a distortion. So we really got to work to challenge that too, of reminding yourself, just like I have a right to decide when I see someone who I adore, who I care about, and I see them as beautiful, I don't have a right to take away that choice for them too, just because my critical voice or my eating disorder says to me that I'm not attractive. That's not fair for me to make that assumption that they're going to see that in me too. I like that mind reading concept. That's really interesting to look at it that way. Like, don't, it's not fair to the other person to assume their perspective and their thoughts. And it's, our next question was going to be, how do you see this being harmful? And I think you just kind of started to allude to that. That is very, very harmful when you're projecting your insecurities onto somebody else. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. How else do you see this being harmful? How do you see this impacting people, this myth? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in so many ways, you know, I think it, it just, it just not only it harms our, our own confidence when it comes to people feeling comfortable in their own sexuality, when it comes to intimacy and their own relationships and their bodies, 
but I think it just trickles down to relationships. I think it trickles down to, you know, just being able to feel comfortable in your own body, being comfortable, having open and honest dialogue with other people. You know, it's, it's, it's like, if I can't feel comfortable trusting myself and, and, learning how to accept myself because you know a lot of my clients will say well you know amber it's it's easier for me to accept other people like i can look at someone amber and accept them and love them and see them as beautiful um but i just don't give myself that same grace it's harder for me to see that for myself but I think again, just like what you said, Rachel, of like, it starts within. And I know this sounds cliche and cheesy, um, but when we start to really practice that self-compassion and grace, it manifests in the relationships that we have. Because I can't tell you how many partners that I'll work with of loved ones who say, it pains me all the time to, in my, in my relationship with this loved one who's recovering from an eating disorder or recovering from, from what, you know, low self-esteem or body image, that they constantly question my love for them or they constantly question my attractiveness to them. And it's exhausting. I'm tired, Amber, I, I get exhausted from it. it. It would be really nice for my partner to trust what I tell them, you know? Yeah, I think this comes back to the common theme of this podcast. Even though we use the word body acceptance, it really is all about body respect and trust. And if we can't hold that, you're using the words compassion, right? But it's all the same concept. If we can come to the space of body trust and body respect, then we can enter into this place where intimacy feels safe and respectable right then our partner can also hold that how how's your partner supposed to um feel intimate and be intimate if if there is this lack of trust now intimacy is many different forms out outside of just a partner but just kind of going off of what you were saying um i think it does come back to that some of that first step is steps are really healing that body trust and respect so that you can get to the space of intimacy feeling safe absolutely absolutely tina absolutely i agree i definitely agree so our podcast is you know play on the word mom jeans and that's somewhat of our audience but we also want to make sure that this is more of a, a global conversation for all partners and all dynamics um how can those listening really support themselves in challenging this myth and by one thought too, as you answer that is, I know you work with couples in your practice. Um, I would be curious kind of how you've helped couples navigate this because I do hear a lot of times similar stories where the, the client is bringing in their partner to discuss how their negative body image impacts the partner. And also they share sometimes that um, they struggle with being just sexually open and the insecurity can come from things they're seeing online or the social media or even pornography that's brought in in a respectful way and how that really impacts just their confidence. So that's kind of a couple parts of that question, but I, I would love if you could speak to that piece. 
I, I think starting off, yeah, I mean, I think for couples that come in um, that I work with that, you know, they're trying to, you know, address getting to this place of feeling comfortable with intimacy when you have a partner who does struggle with the negative body image and it's interfering with both of their pleasure of being able to enjoy sex and intimacy in and of itself. I think one of the first um, things that I do actually ask the couple to kind of reflect on is just their past history of when it comes to just their beliefs about intimacy in general. You know, of course, obviously, we all come into our relationships with our own baggage when it comes to our beliefs about intimacy in terms of like, what we think about it, you know, some of us may have grown up believing that we need to not talk about intimacy. It's something to be ashamed of. You can only talk about it like he 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 cover your ear, you know, like or you know, some other people were very like very open about it, very comfortable about it. So I try to open up a space where they can actually start to practice talking about the history of like how they come to believe or their beliefs about intimacy in general and how that impacts the way that they view intimacy now with their partner. Um, and then the other thing I actually try to, before it actually gets into the physical act of like, even let's say intercourse, I even just ask them, how do they feel just about being in their bodies in and of themselves? Like, do, is it, is it comfortable? Like, how is it for, you know, I may ask one partner, how is it for you when you take a shower, when you put lotion on, how is it for you as the other partner to wash your hair? How is it for you to get a massage? Do you actually feel comfortable just being naked or just being in your body in and of itself? And because usually that actually can communicate to me as a clinician where you stand when it comes to just being in your body. You know what I mean? And so I think in, in obtaining, and obviously these are just brief descriptors, um, but usually in obtaining this information, this kind of gives me a little bit more of an understanding of how the person's framework of mind comes in when they think of intimacy for themselves. Um, but more importantly, what I do also try to do is support, especially for the client, let's say that does struggle with the negative body image, I may give them um, exercises where I may have the partner practice with them. Um, let's say, for example, I may have the partner that struggles with the negative body image, I may have them practice sitting Indian style and the other partner let's say placing a hand on, let's say their arm, let's say one partner feels really self-conscious about their arm. And let's say the other partner places a hand on their arm and that partner begins to describe to their partner that struggles with that negative body image part, say, here are all the things that I actually really appreciate and love about your arm. And again, that sounds very cliche. <laughs> um, and it might sound, you know, like, what? What are you talking about? But again, I, my goal is really supporting that particular client in learning how to open up their mindset and and not looking at you know in that using that example of the arm of i'm not going to look at my arm as the way that my critical voice or my eating disorder has taught me to look at my arm <laughs> you know i'm going to look at it in the eyes of my partner i'm going to look at it as a as a source of pleasure with receptors to it that here's a way that my partner actually wants to bring pleasure to me to show me that they love me 
and that they want to appreciate me. So what would that be like for me to actually sit and receive that source of pleasure? You know what I mean? So that's, that's one example. That's one example. I think there was another part, Rachel, forgive me, that you had asked that I don't think I touched on. I think I just hear so many clients bring in their body insecurity because of the visual stimuli they're getting in our society. And then feeling like if this is what my partner thinks is sexy, or this is even what I think is sexy, and I don't look like that, then how do I wrap my brain around that? And, and that is also a dynamic that comes up with couples. Yes, yes. Here, here's, here's the other thing too. I, I do believe it's possible to, I think it's possible for individuals to have various levels of what's attractive and still be attracted to their partner. So for example, like it's, it's possible to, so for instance, I can have, um, who, let's say who's my crush right now. <laughs> okay. My long-term crush, Tina and Rachel know this. I would say this in the treatment team all the time. LL Cool J will forever be my crush. LL, are you listening? Oh my, Amber is here. Oh my gosh, I knew it. LL Cool J will forever be my crush. <laughs> so I, I, I can forever see El Kuje as being, you know, but my, my partner can look nothing like El Kuje, but that does not mean that I'm not attracted to my partner. I, I can hold both of those realities and still enjoy physical intimacy with my partner. And I think a lot of times as women, um, or not just women, let me, let me, let me reiterate, not just women, but I think a lot of times for individuals, we have this notion of if we don't look like a particular ideal that let's say our partner finds super attractive, then that means we're not attractive. As opposed to there can be juxtaposing images of beauty and like holding those at the same time and still be considered attractive and sexy, if that makes sense. I wanna shift it because you know, the podcast is geared towards moms. And so we always like to bring in the concept of children, right? And no offense to how anyone's parents do it, but like with my kid, we're starting early where it's like we call his penis a penis. We call his butt a butt. We we call the parts the parts versus, oh, that's your hoo-ha or you know, tushy, whatever. I don't know. You know, like, would you like to sit on the toilet and pee out of your penis? Like it's, it's real. And he'll literally be like, mama, I have a nipple just like your nipple. And I'm like, yes, you are right. Mama's nipple. You also have a nipple, right? So it's like the slightest bit of intimacy, right? We're like calling parts what they are. How, and that's like, for a two-year-old, but how can we yank this into parents to be like, how do we normalize intimacy for parents and for kids and while also being age appropriate? I'm not saying like, yeah, let your kids go out and be engaging in behavior that's not appropriate for their age range, but what do you think about that? 
Yes, such an excellent, important question, Tina. Such an excellent question. Because I, I think it's so, um, it's so important to create a safe space for kids to at least know that if they have questions, they can ask. You know, I think there is such a fear of kids like I, I just don't want I don't want my kids to be too overexposed because I don't want them to heaven forbid go to quote unquote the dark side and then something negative happen and then oh my gosh I'm a horrible parent. But if if there's too much shielding, right? We we don't want the we don't want the children to not have any sense of insight or understanding to know that it's actually okay to be aware of intimacy, you know? And so I definitely think, um, and again, I, I absolutely respect, because at the end of the day, every parent has a right to decide what's best for their own household. Um, I truly believe in respect in that. Um, but I do think in a broad notion, I think it's okay to start a healthy dialogue, you know, in terms of saying, you know, you know, do you have any questions when it comes to your body? You know, it's, do you, are there times where you feel good if you touch a certain body part? Do you have questions for mommy about that? Do you have questions for, for your parent about that? Let's talk about it as opposed to don't ever touch that. And that's wrong. Because again, you're, you're associating, you're teaching subconsciously shame connected to a body part when, when you may not be wanting to. So again, very broadly, it's, it's very important to just create that safe space by just letting your children know you can, you can ask any questions like, yes, like this, like this is a nipple, this is a vagina, this is a penis, this is a butt. Yes, this hangs here. Yes. What, do you have any questions about that? Yes. You know, do you, you know, sometimes for the little boys, like my little fellas, you know, um, when they, I think, what age is it when the little, you know, little boys start to have wet dreams? What was it like eight or nine, nine or 10? I don't know. Um, know. Pretty young. Um, <laughs> but I, I get a lot of parents that are like, I have no idea how to have that conversation with my son about having a wet dream for the first time. But really, instead of just like, no, let's not talk about it. It's so important to, to have a dialogue. Okay, like, let's talk about it. This is what's, this is ejaculation. And this is, this is actually what happens. And it's a normal part of physical development. And again, you can have this conversation without it turning into this, um, no, 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 no. That means the child is gonna become addicted to blah, blah, blah. No, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, what you're hitting on is fear-based parenting. Like I am so scared about what this might mean that I then respond emotionally and react emotionally from fear. So I think it kind of goes back to the whole concept of our podcast, which is like, parents, this is work you do yourself. And once you're able to really dissect all the messaging and all the fears that you have, then you're able to parent from a different perspective and a different emotional 
space. And I think this is what we're kind of preaching on, which is, hey, let's have these dialogues. Let's bring in these safe conversations. And this is within all topics. We've been talking about this with body diversity. We've been talking about this with anti-racism. We've been talking about this with accessibility and social justice and all of these topics that if we're not actually holding the safe enough space to have these conversations, then what the hell are we doing, right? Like, your kid needs to be able to come to you and be like, some some liquid's coming out of my penis. I don't know what's happening, right? Or like, I'm having the urge to masturbate, you know, like what the hell's going on? And I think these are very normal reactions and urges. Now, granted, Amber, I'm glad you brought up, like we're not preaching that one way is the best way or whatever. We respect family boundaries, whatever y'all decide, it's your family, but we're just saying like open up the dialogue to have these conversations so that within those conversations you can develop your own family values and family systems. So that's a really helpful piece and perspective. So thank you. Is there anything else you would want to share with our listeners? Um, I, you know, I would just say in general, when it comes to, um, feeling comfortable, feeling sexy in your body, continue to be okay with having a skeptical eye with what you see in the media. One of the things that I distinctly, I know, again, Rachel and Tina, I know you guys remember this, you know, back in our treatment team days of like making that decision every morning and waking up and deciding for yourself just because the images that I see, magazines, Instagram, regardless, what is the type of world? What is the type of viewership that I want to promote? What are the values that I want to align with when it comes to what is considered beautiful and sexy to me? And so it's okay for me to be skeptical. It's okay for me to know that even if I see images in the media that are considered as quote unquote ideal, recognizing that those images do not represent everybody and that it is absolutely okay and possible to hold two, two things at the same time. You can have folks that are beautiful over here and that does not take away from the beauty over here. Just like, so I always give the analogy to some of my, some of my clients, I, I don't see anyone that's posing the difference between, you know, give me two celebrities. Uh, no one compares Anna Hendricks to, you know, Eva Longoria. Completely different celebrities. They're both beautiful in their own right. You know what I'm saying? Like very different individual. It, you can hold both. You can hold both body types. You can hold both forms of beauty and still be attractive and still be sexy and still be confident and know that that's okay. So I definitely just want to encourage everyone to just keep the faith in that. I know it can feel hard and defeating, especially, you know, in this pandemic that we're in. <laughs> um, but just keep the faith in that and, and know that I, I do have hope. I think that we're getting a little bit better as a society. I, I see more and more women that are, and men, that are advocating um, against, you know, the standard quo. So I, I would just say keep the faith in that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Ah, this has been so helpful, and we hope it is helpful to our listeners. Yeah.
Yay, thanks for having me. That is a wrap on this episode of the Mythbuster series, and we hope this information provides you with a more critical lens when you hear mainstream diet culture messaging. Please reach out to the person interviewed to connect with them in the ways they listed, or you can check out our social media pages at Mom Jeans the Podcast for details on the episode and to find our guests' information. And if you love the episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and recommend this episode to a friend. Sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LeBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.